It's 9.35, so we'll get started. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you that we can come together as your people, that we can meditate on your word, uh, that we can be here uh, without fear and uh, of oppression and, and violence, and just thank you for this country and the blessings that we have to meet freely uh, to worship you. We pray that you would be with us uh, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would uh, have the mind of Christ as we read his word, as we meditate upon it. Uh, we pray that we would know more of who the Lord Jesus is and what he's come to do uh, to save us from our sinful condition and to restore us uh, to the Father, uh, to yourself, that we can be in your presence and find fullness of joy in you. So please bless our time today and lead us into all truth. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome. Uh, we are talking about dominion, and we're talking about that in the context of the big story of the Bible, which at a super high level summarized as creation, fall, redemption. That's the narrative structure of, of the Bible and how God chose to communicate his, what he's up to in this world. He uh, created us upright, uh, perfect in him as his image bearers. We are the finite impression of the infinite God. Uh, God manifested His glory uh, chiefly through humans, and we were supposed to be His image bearers who would uh, fulfill the vocation that He gave to us of being His priest kings or His uh, priestess queens. Male and female, He created us to rule the world, subdue it, have dominion over the animals, and to be fruitful and multiply and multiply God's image so that as we filled the earth, the whole earth would be filled with the image of of God, and in doing so, the glory of God would fill the whole earth as uh, the waters cover the sea, as we read about in the prophets. However, uh, well, before we get to the, the bad part, um, this idea of image of God applied, we've talked about with uh, this vocabulary on, on this side of the whiteboard. Um, what does being the image of God, practically speaking, look like, lived out, uh, in the original state of creation. And what it looked like was being clothed with honor and dignity. Uh, humans were, again, to rule over the animals and to uh, uh, have a, a dignity about them uh, as they were kings over the world. Uh, we were made with potential to fill the earth. Uh, creation started in a garden, but it wasn't supposed to, the dominion wasn't just supposed to be localized to the garden alone, it was to expand and fill the whole earth as as humans multiplied. And that duty to be God's uh, priest kings and to rule over creation in his name and his, his image was our responsibility. It wasn't just a vision, it was our duty. We were called to do it. We were, we were under God's law um, because uh, we are made in his image. And this is what we've talked about with responsibility. We have a responsibility to do these things. And we're to do this not as cowboys or not as people who are by themselves, all doing it by the lonesome, but to do it as a community of, of humanity. And um, started with a nuclear family, but the vision was for it to expand and for there to be uh, communities filling the whole world. And not just community amongst ourselves, but we were supposed to do this in communion with God. Uh, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam had a access to God that was, that was direct, that was real, that was... Um, and depicted for us in symbolic form in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, that place where heaven and earth met, 
above the mercy seat where the Shekinah glory uh, appeared and where once a year uh, the high priest could enter and experience the presence of God on behalf of the people, that special moment once a year was the state in which man lived and was supposed to live all the time, right? And so we did this in communion with God. It wasn't by ourselves. God didn't wind humanity up and then leave. God was made to be in us and and with us every step of the way. And then this place, this this garden place, again, this uh, symbolically depicted in the tabernacle and in the temple, that was home. The place where heaven and earth met is home. And uh, ultimately, that place of home is now Christ Jesus. He is the new temple. And where he is, heaven and earth meet, and we have the immediate presence of God again. So that's what we were made for. The fall happened. We sinned. Uh, We rejected our vocation as priest kings. And instead, we listened to the serpent. Instead of listening to God, our creator, we listened to the creature, the serpent. Instead of trusting God in his word, we doubted God, and we, we questioned his, his authority and right to tell us what to do, and we, we rebelled. And so we were, everything was turned on its head. And so you see the converse of uh, image of God applied. And now we have image of God defaced, this great work of art that just had dirt and scum and paint slapped on it or... Some of you have uh, the image of a bombed-out cathedral. You still see the structure of the cathedral. You know a cathedral used to be there, but there's no roof. The stained glass is all gone. Moss is growing up in the pews, and it's just a, it's a shell of what it, what it ought to have been. And so instead of honor, we, we feel shame. We know we are made for something, but we fail to live up to it. And so we're, we're, we're ashamed. There's something wrong. We know there's something wrong with our very being, Right? Um, and then we feel powerless. Instead of, we know there's a potential we're supposed to achieve. We know we're supposed to reach for more. We know we're supposed to accomplish things in this world. But we lack the power to do so because of sin. And we know we're supposed to fulfill this responsibility, but we don't. And so we anticipate punishment. We feel guilt. We know that we're blameworthy. And that's, that's guilt. And instead of being in fellowship with God again, God cast us out of the garden. Right? We have exile instead of being at home. And instead of... Um, being close to God and close to one another, and able to cooperate with one another in a harmonious way, we feel alienation from one another. And so that's where we left off uh, at the beginning of last week. And last week, we started to transition to a discussion of, so now what? Now what? Now that we're humanity's in a fallen state, how has fallen humanity responded to our current situation? We walked through a lot of these Bible passages last week. Uh, we, we talked about Cain and Abel. We talked about Lamech. We talked about the pre-flood condition of man. We talked about the um, Tower of Babel. We talked about Pharaoh's oppressive authority. We talked about Israel turning to sorcery. Uh, and then we talked about um, the duties and, and the vision for, a, for God's king, um, and we used all these things to talk about um, there's this idea of responding to the fall with, with what I'm calling, you could call it other things, there's different, uh, I'm just picking this term, fake dominion, fake dominion. In other words, trying to get back to what we know we're supposed to be, but in all the wrong ways, right? All the wrong ways. And that's why um, I've, I've taken some time to go through these categories because, and to, to sync them up with creation fall because 
when we see Christ coming back to save us, um, what is he saving us for? To what is he bringing us into? And the vision, again, for humanity was priest kings ruling over the whole world with him, um, his glory filling the earth. And the categories through which we understand that vocation are what fell. And when Christ comes back, he restores us to those same categories and um, except we get to do build upon it for all of eternity. So um, that's why, we're, that's why I've, I've, I've chosen um, this way of organizing it. There's other ways to, anytime you systematize something, you know, there's other ways to skin a cat, so to speak. So don't, don't read what I'm, uh, or think that this class, like this is the only way to organize these ideas. Um, there's different words you could pick, but I, I think this structure helps us get at a helpful way to, to see what um, the big story of the Bible is up to. So we went through all these passages, and we see that one way of responding to our shame is, is to just say, no, I'm going to be proud. I, I'm shamed, but I'm going to pick myself up on my own bootstraps, and I'm going to give myself an exalted status uh, just by, by fiat and think that I'm, I'm bigger than I, than I really am. And we see this mission of pride in Genesis 11. We talked about last week the Tower of Babel. We're going to make a name for ourselves. right? We're going to build a tower to the heavens. We're going to exalt ourselves because uh, we, know, we know we're uh, shameful creatures, and we know we kind of uh, in a messed up situation. So we're going to solve that by... Uh, putting our heads together and coming up with a great scheme to reach the heavens. Well, God, God puts an end to that. Uh, and also, we feel powerless. So, well, again, willpower. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. We're going to accomplish something. You see this also with the Tower of Babel. You also see this with Lamech. Uh, just this, just this, this proud attitude that Lamech, who's the seventh generation from Cain, and he, he kind of takes... Cain's way of thinking of, of I'm going to make my own city, I'm going to take multiple wives, I'm going to engage in violence, I'm going to go about ruling the world as a selfish, proud, ambitious man uh, who glories in my exploits. That's, that's selfish ambition of realizing your potential through all the wrong means. Um, and then how do we respond to our guilt? Uh, we have this debt we owe uh, to God and... Uh, Fundamentally, false religion is, is how to deal with your guilt uh, through appeasement. Well, I got to give something. I got to appease the gods. Or if your God is yourself, you got to appease yourself and make yourself feel happy. You know, so these, this is what we talked about last week with, um, I don't think we had a Bible reference for this, but basically all, all of idolatry, all false religion is basically, basically that. And then uh, how do we relate to one another? Well, fundamentally, it's mainly through oppression, through oppression, abusing the authority God's given us, making our relationships with one another uh, just a matter of controlling each other or manipulating each other or trying to be to one up the other person and just you know work out all relationships are just basically a truce. The truce gets broken and it's war, and then we come to another truce and just wait for the next war. And some marriages are like this, you know. Some countries are like this. It's just you know some countries are just perennially on the verge of civil war, and that's that's the best they can do. Some marriages, it's you're you're one step away from from divorce and. Uh, in some sense, that's the best they can do because it's just uh, it's a really sad situation. And ultimately, the symbol, the symbol of this fake dominion uh, in, in terms of biblical theology is the city. When Cain is expelled from his family and told to be a wanderer, he responds defiantly. We read in uh, Genesis uh, 4.17 that Saint Cain built a city and... Uh, 
and then we see that, that vision of city building just have a life of its own in the rest of Scripture. Um, we'll see when we talk about um, Noah's descendants that Ham, the cursed son of Noah, his son, Canaan, uh, and then I think Cush, and Cush's son, Nimrod, Nimrod, mighty warrior before the Lord. He goes and he founds all the big cities that are the perennial empires throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Babylon and Nineveh, and uh, these become the archetypal, like, anti-Eden, anti-Zion is Babylon. And so, ultimately, the city is this image of man trying to respond to the fallen condition in his own strength and, and might. So, that was last week. Um, and we ended last week with Micah 5, 7 through 15, that Christ ultimately comes and crushes fake dominion. He crushes the city. He crushes our idolatry. He crushes uh, all these false ways of dealing um, with the fall, and he brings us uh, back into God's presence. So, this week, uh, we're going to continue this idea of fake dominion because it's a, where we're going is, if this is man's response, what's God's response? To the fall, and what we're gonna, what I'm building towards here is, God fundamentally has two responses to our the fallen condition, which is common grace, and redemptive grace. And we're gonna talk about common grace as a grace that preserves, doesn't bring us back to the garden, doesn't doesn't redeem us, but it, it preserves. It, it's uh, as Calvin says, it's a uh, it's a grace that comes alongside of our sin and and keeps us from breaking out and being as bad as we could be while God works his plan of redemption to bring us all the way back to the garden, all the way back to where we ought to be through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're building towards. But to kind of really understand why that's our only hope is God's grace, um, we want to really dig deep into fake dominion. So this week is probably going to be one of the more practical weeks. We're going to talk about video games. We're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about screen time. We're going to talk about junk food. Um, so come, uh, I'm going to have some ideas for you to think about, and uh, what we're going to talk about today is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but um, hopefully help us to see that, you know, we're, when was the last time you built a city? Anybody built a city here? Uh, when was the last time you were a king and you had slaves? Um, we don't, a lot of the biblical uh, metaphors are, we're kind of detached in our modern age, so I want to think today about kind of translating some of these these, these ways the Bible talks about fake dominion into our own everyday experience. And to do that, I'm talking a lot, I know, but I'm going to set it up, we're going to, I'll do more audience participation soon, but to do that, I want to talk about, add a little more color and nuance to this idea of fake dominion and talk about three modes of fake dominion. The first mode of fake dominion we talked about last week, it's the City of Man project, right? It's just this constructing kind of an alternate home in my own strength apart from God's grace. That's, that's the Tower of Babel. That's, um, that's the city of Cain. That's Babylon. Okay, City of Man project. This is also kind of the picture of Rome and all of its glory. Um, there's some common grace mixed in with this, which we'll talk about later on, but it's also you know, conquering through my own pride, through human glory, um, building empires, which can do wonderful, marvelous things. Um, pretty pretty amazing feats of human ingenuity, but it's, 
it's ultimately just the city of man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to burn up one day. It's not going to last. It's not eternal. It's not man as he was made to be um, before the face of God. So this was last week. This week I want to talk about two other ways that are probably more apropos to our everyday experience. And that's, I'm calling this escape and then exchange. And so escape, um, I want you to turn to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, we're going to read about Hagar and Abram and Sarai. Because this is a different way of responding to, to our fallen condition, not with city building per se, not with uh, pride so much, but it's, it's an escape. It's, we're escaping the consequences of the curse by manufacturing schemes that get you some of the fruit of being in God's image, but without actually participating in the glory of the image of God and the means that God has established. By, by escape, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, get away from our fallen condition and try to manufacture some cheap imitation. So it's not, it, I mean, these are all kind of related ideas. Like there's, there's some, don't think of these as, you know, in one sense, I'm still trying to figure out how to understand all this, but um, there's an element of, of trying to respond to our sinful condition, not by constructing a complete um, city of man project, but like trying to get at the fruit of what God promises, but through, through uh, manufactured means. So let's, uh, can someone read Genesis 16, 1 through 4 for me? Okay, so let's put, let's put Sarai and Abram in our, in our scheme here. What, so God, God's, so just to context here, God's promise to Abram, you're really old and your wife's really old and you're barren, but you're going to have a son and I'm going, through you I'm going to bless all the nations. And uh, we see God continuing his promise that he had in the garden of a seed who would crush the serpent. And Abram's going to be the father of the one who will be that seed. Uh, who will crush the serpent, but there's some problems. It's really glaring problems. Um, what are some of the problems uh, that Abram and Sarah have? They're old? What's that, What's that have to do with these promises? They can't have kids, right? They got, they're powerless, right? Um, and there's some shame associated with that powerlessness, right? They can't, they're, they're okay, God's got these promises, but we can't. We're broken. The fall happened. It's, it, the fall is affecting our bodies, right? Uh, also, where are they at this time? Again, I, we haven't read these verses yet, so I'm trusting you to rely upon your reservoir of biblical knowledge. Where are Abram and Sarai at this time? Canaan, right. Is Canaan their home? It's their promised home, but is it their home yet? No, they're, they're, they're wanderers. They're, they don't have a place. They don't have a city, right? They're, they're pilgrims. They're, they're, um, they're, so, they're sojourners, right? And so, you know, you're going to build uh, 
uh, a tribe that's gonna, from which the Messiah is going to come, but you don't have really a place to call your own. So major problems here. And in this story, uh, we see them trying to tackle that problem uh, in a very unhelpful way. So, so fundamentally, what do they do to try to get over, specifically, their powerlessness to have children? What do they do? Just read it. That's right. Right. And so basically, um, vicarious pregnancy. I'll use that term. Sarai has a vicarious pregnancy, surrogacy. Now, um, this response is kind of, you know, it's a little selfish. It's, uh, um, there's kind of some presumptuousness here that, well, we can fix the problem ourselves. But also, Hagar, she's a slave. Nowhere in here do we read that she had a real choice in this matter. Uh, there's some oppression going on here, right? She's being taken advantage of, and she's basically forced into this sexual relationship, um, uh, presumably against, against her will. So um, the idea here is, well, <clears throat> we need a child, so let's just manufacture a situation where we can get the fruit that we think we need, but in a way that's completely outside of the means that God uh, has, has prescribed. So we've got all in one bit, we've got a, a form of sexual abuse, we have polygamy, uh, we have pride, we have uh, presumption, all sorts of ways of really just trying to escape our cursed predicament, make our own little alternative reality and try to, try to get back to uh, a good state in that way. So that's... that's Again, escape might not be the best word. It's more like escape and replace. It's, if you guys think of a better word today, maybe we can uh, happy to incorporate it. So that's, that's mode number two. And then number three is exchange. And so someone turned to Romans 1, 21 through 24, and someone else turned to Isaiah 50, 20, or 5, 20, sorry, Isaiah 5, 20. Just got Romans 1, 21. Go for it, Rachel. So the word exchange in there appears twice, and it's, it's, um, that's what I'm trying to get here. They've rejected God's order, and they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and the result is being given over to the lust of their flesh. So there's this way of responding to our cursed condition by just turning everything on its head. And that brings us to Isaiah 5.20. Who's got Isaiah 5.20? Go for it, Richard. Darkness for light and light for darkness, he put bitter for speech, speech for bitter. 
So the idea here, kind of put these two verses together, is there are those who, in their fallen condition, they see specific aspects of their fallen condition, and they basically say, this is good. This is very good. Um, And I think today, uh, really the sexual revolution is kind of the epitome of, of this. So I have these... Uh, these perverted sexual desires, or I have uh, same-sex attraction, or I have gender dysphoria, <clears throat> and instead of lamenting that condition and seeking redemption from it, it's like, no, this is actually good. I'm going to make my sinful desire the sum and substance of, a, of an identity, and I'm going to celebrate that. So I've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, about who he's made me to be, and, and God has now given me over to that. Um, I've called evil good and, and, and good evil. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where this fake dominion kind of really a uh, very scary place to be when, you're, when everything gets turned on its head. So these are, these are three modes of uh, a fake dominion. Um, and I want to go back to uh, escape and spend more time here and, I, and, and talk about some specific examples of how, how we kind of imitate Her, uh, Abram and Sarai we try to get the fruit and a piece of the original created order, but we do it in a manufactured way uh, in, instead of uh, through the means that God has, has ordained, and it ends up becoming a very woeful situation. So uh, I want to start, uh, one, by saying I, I think I've come up with some examples that I, I hope... Uh, make you uncomfortable in at least one way. So I've picked a lot. Uh, Hopefully one of them makes you really squeamish. Because this should hit close to home because we all do these things. And uh, and I've I've participated in everything that we've talked about. So I'm I'm not speaking here as someone who's uh, an innocent bystander in these these ways of fake dominion, okay? This is our, as we talked about with the fall, um, let's let the law examine us instead of justify us. And, and see just how, how deep sin goes. Um, and to kind of just give a good foundation for our discussion here about how deep sin goes and how we find all sorts of ways to, to get around our sinful condition, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 15, um, who can make straight what the Lord has made crooked? Like, s- sin isn't just a few items on your theological checklist that you failed to check. Sin is in your very being. It's, it's permeating everything, right? Who can make straight... It, the world is fundamentally crooked. And, and apart from Christ and His complete redemption, it will not be made straight. And so we shouldn't be surprised at how, how messed up we are. Creation itself is groaning to be redeemed. The whole created fabric is corrupted, right? And so we're going to see more very practically what that looks like. So, without further ado, I want to start with um, this idea of fake conquest and fake dominion, and I want to talk about video games um, as an example of this. And, and some of these examples uh, are sinful in their abuse, so I'm not, some of these things we're going to talk about, I'm not saying they're inherently evil. Some of these things we're going to talk about are inherently evil, um, so just use your discernment to understand, um, don't make me a legalist and a Luddite up here. I'm not trying to be a Luddite. I'm not trying to be a, um, say we just got to go back to the, the uh, Stone Age here 
and get rid of all technology. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, but I want to talk about some context in which I think we, we're responding to our woeful condition in, in unhelpful ways. So video games. Why do I bring up video games? How do you think video games, and those of you who play a lot of video games uh, can help me out here. What, why do you like video games? Like what, why do people play these games? What's going on? Yeah. Interest like like what what kind of sins like what? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And so, what's the point of I guess killing the bad guys in video games? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in a, in a game? The win. Trying to get the win. Trying to get. And and there's lots of games out there. And winning um, has different meanings. Like there's uh, you know first person shooter games where you're I assume you're trying to like take some territory or accomplish some objectives. There's like the Sim City games where you're building a city, right? And so what's what's being simulated in these games? What are you acting out when you play these games? Dominion. Yeah. It's virtual dominion. It's a form of virtual dominion. You get to build a city, you get to, you know, fight the battles. Uh, some games they're, you know, you get the girl. I mean, it's like a whole life you can Marry someone and, like, you know, The Sims, I think, has that element into it. And then Grand Theft Auto, in a really perverted way, has all that. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's this idea of, of dominion. And, and I think um, you get the feeling of victory and conquest, right? I mean, real endorphins are going when you're playing video games. Real, real dopamine hits. Real serotonin at, when you accomplish an objective. I mean, how does it feel when you, when you get to a next level? When you've beaten a boss at a certain uh, level and then you get to the next one, I mean, how does it make you feel? Has anyone, anyone done that? Like, we played Super, Super Mario Brothers 3 when I was a kid with the little rectangle Nintendo. Man, every time you beat a level, there's different worlds. You, know, you got like grassland, you got desert land, you got uh, pipe land, and every time you got to go to the next world, it was like, oh, I beat that level. Oh, it was so, oh, man, it was so good. Yeah. Exactly. Adrenaline rush. Exactly. Um, be, because you're simulating a real part of who you are. Like, you're made to conquer evil. You know, you're, you're made to build things, and you're made to, um, and um, a whole other level of this is uh, live internet gaming, where you can talk to people while you're, while you're playing games. Um, and you have a kind of a sense of community while you're doing this. And you're, you're, you're going into these, um, these places to beat zombies or whatever, but you've you're, you got a team, and you can talk to each other. It's, 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 you're, you're, um, I mean, it looks more like training for uh, special forces military operations in a, in a virtual sense. Um, yeah, it's pretty sophisticated. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of 
That's right. Settlers of Catan. I love Settlers of Catan. But I'm doing the same thing in that game, just in a lower resolution form, right? Instead of buttons and pixels, I got little pieces of wood and uh, little cards, you know? But, but it's still that I'm going to conquer the territory, right? And, and you can see that in, in the right context, uh, these types of amusements aren't, um, they can be a fun, a, a fun uh, a piece of recreation. But... Um, I'm sure if you've read blogs or just follow social media or, you know, are somewhat aware of just our cultural moment, I mean, there are people who are addicted to games. We have whole gaming conventions. I mean, the biggest convention in Indianapolis is Gen Con. And Gen Con is essentially all things gaming. And you have people not just role-playing in games, but role-playing with dressing up as their favorite characters. And, and again, there, there's a sense in which this is, this is fun and, and harmless, but it's, it's become... It gets to a point where it's like, what's going on here? What are these guys doing? Why is it so obsessive? Sorry, yeah. Go. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, it's their identity. It's like what they live for. I mean, these. I know. I had a friend who worked in the hotel industry, downtown Indianapolis, and he would tell me stories uh, during Gen Con week of just people that looked like they'd never seen the light of day. Um, would come with just their cases and cases of Mountain Dew and set up their, their cables in between their hotel rooms. They'd never leave the hotel room. That was, that was the weird thing is they were at Gen Con, but they would, they would just sit in the hotel room and play these games with other people because um, people from all over the country would come together and they would, they would play these games. And um, what was sad was um, these folks who would do this would, would be unable to look you in the eye and really have conversations when they came to get service at the front desk at the hotel, or um, just, just very, you could tell the virtual world was their world, um, and the real world, um, they, they just didn't really know how to, how to navigate it, and it was, it was very sad. So I think you see this in our age, this kind of, what are they trying to do? They're trying to replace, like, like Sarai and Abram, they want the fruit of a child but they, but they do it in a, in a vicarious surrogate way. So I want the fruit of dominion. I want to feel the victory and the conquest. I want to have a community of people with whom I'm conquering. But it's all virtual and it's not real. It's not fake. Because the real life is really hard. Real dominion is very hard in a cursed world. You know, what, what does it take to hold a 9-to-5 job? Like, what do you really have to do to hold a 9-to-5 job in this world, um, you have to get up on time. You got to have food. You got to have to have prepared your meals. You have to have some clothes. You got to have transportation. You got to have an attention span that can focus on a task for eight hours a day, right? You got to have a bank account to put the money in when, when you collect it. I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to do just to be able to have the satisfaction of a hard day's work. And that's really hard. And some people, it's like, you know what? I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. So I'm going to go home and play video games where I can experience a little bit of conquest, a little bit of victory, because my life doesn't have a lot of victory. So, yeah, Dave.
dream that somehow if I can just do a better job, I can master this, I can pass the enemy, you know. Right. That 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 all leads back to the kind of Gentile mindset of of dominion of what I make of all this instead of what God is doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Doug. Right, and it's you're you're kind of just recreating <clears throat> pagan mythology in a lot of ways um, with what you have now, um, because again we feel the vacuum created by the fall. We feel the vacuum that powerlessness creates, that shame creates, that guilt creates, and we're trying to fill that. We're trying to fill that um, through these cheap imitations. Now, I want to take this in a very uncomfortable direction for reformed people, um, myself included, but. Um, And I mean this respectfully, but in what sense is is um, immersing yourself in Reformation history, reading all the Puritans, understanding all the facts about um, good theology, but not living it out? Is that that different from a Gen Con mindset? I mean. I, I, I'm guilty of this as, as anyone. I mean, just reading, 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 reading. But I, it, I just read it. I just read it. I don't apply it. Right? I'm a hearer of the word. I'm not a doer. Right? And I live vicariously through the Puritans. I live vicariously through the Covenanters. Right? But what, what battles am I called to fight? You know? Sometimes it's less glorious. I'm not standing up to Cromwell and his... His dragoons, you know, I got to stand up to my own sin. I got to stand up to a boss who's oppressive. I got to stand up to, to my children's sin and, and care for them and nurture them and provide them. There's a, this, this idea of vicarious um, living 
in alternative realities is very, it's very subtle. Our favorite hobbies that, are, that are, are, are common grace that we can find refreshment and enjoyment in. Our favorite theologians that we can enjoy and, and, and have deep meditations about. Good in their own right, but we can turn them into these, these alternative realities and become, become trapped uh, um, and not able to face the real, the real hard, dark world um, that's wrecked by sin uh, and faith. So, any comments and thoughts on that? I know it's uncomfortable, but I, yeah. Good. Um, well, I'll think about. I mean, there's just examine our own hearts, and um, we'll see this uh, everywhere. Really, um, fake intimacy. I want to move to fake intimacy, and um, I think everyone here is in middle school, so this is a trigger warning. Um, um, I'll try. We'll, we'll be uh, discreet in how we talk about this, but um, um, it doesn't take much imagination to see how this this way of fake dominion can be applied to um, sexual sin and, and pornography in particular. You, know, you, you have a, an experience on the internet where you get a piece of the marriage relationship completely detached from everything uh, that a marriage is supposed to be. So you can have, have this sense of, of, of release or stimulation um, completely detached from commitment, completely detached from uh, real intimacy, completely detached from a physical relationship, and completely detached from the children that should come from uh, a sexual union. And so, and in a culture where, um, you know, we're focused on our screens, we don't have kind of organic communities in the same way that we used to, we live kind of more isolated lives, you know, when you start to feel disconnected from people, 
And you want to feel like you're appreciated. You want to feel like someone's paying attention to you. You want to feel like your biological needs are being met. Like pornography is a perfect drug for that. It, it checks so many chemical boxes. It checks so many, um, again, very low resolution relational boxes. Um, because it's all about you. It's all about you. At a biological level, at an emotional level. And so, um, what, I mean, it's, it's a gross sin, and we can you know, treat it as such, but, but recognize, too, like, why are people going towards it? We're predisposed to evil, but in what sense? Like, what are we talking about? Like, they, they feel powerless. They feel alienated. And this gets you a quick hit in a virtual sense, in a fake sense, completely detached from any consequences, at least you think, um, and, and you, get, you, get to, you get to meet that need. So kind of in the same way that you can get manufactured sense of victory and conquest, you can get manufactured intimacy, you know, manufactured uh, sexual release, these, these types of things. Yeah, you had your hand up. So, yeah, the, the, the term pornography is from the Greek word porneia, which is kind of, I, I, it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of a category of, of perversion in the, in the human sexual realm, I think. So, like, all, all things associated with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and pornography, I think we think of it as just images and videos and kind of a man problem. But, I mean, if you go on, you know, number one bestseller lists um, for books, um, I mean, pornography is in literature, I think, more than, more than you might realize. Um, this idea of simulating romance uh, in very graphically physical ways, but also very emotionally manipulative ways of, Again, living vicariously through uh, uh, you know, some, some character in some romance novel um, is, is a pitfall that, that many people fall into as well. And again, it's this kind of manufactured, um, manufacturing the fruits of, uh, in a very low-resolution sense of what we want to experience um, and what we know we were created to experience in, in the original state. So... A lot to think about there. Um, but again, what's the context in which we're supposed to experience um, sexual intimacy? It's like, like I described with how do you hold down a nine to five? You know, what's it take to have a fulfilling marriage? You have to find a wife. It takes a lot of work to be marriageable, so to speak. You know, have your act together if you're a guy where a girl actually wants to marry you. And as a woman, someone who a man wants to bring and, and care for. Um, there's a lot of, of work and, and preparation just to be married. And then once you are married, to maintain the joy and the short accounts of sin and conflict and be able to resolve your differences and come back together as one flesh, that takes a lot of work. It's really hard, and it's very tempting for men and women to say, you know what, it's too hard. I'm just going to get a quick hit 
of, of the dopamine and the serotonin and, and the chemicals in my brain that make me feel good. And uh, I'm going to go to, to various forms of pornography. So, yeah, Jacob. Donald. And that's, that's, what, that's what communion is. Like, we think of ourselves as automatons. Like, I, I, can, I can love myself by myself instead of outside the context of another person. Or I, I can find fulfillment without other people. And that's just a lie. You, can't, you, can't, you cannot do that. You need, you need other people for this whole thing to work. And this is what's broken. When this is broken, it, it really doesn't work. I wanna, we only got a couple minutes left, so I'm going to quickly plow through some other things here and then, and then wrap this up. So just a couple of things to think about. Um, fake play, fake play. When kids watch cartoons or kids watch uh, kid shows, what are they doing? They're literally watching someone else play. And they're entertained by it, right? So now again, I, um, I I use screen time for my kids because I'm I'm uh, you know you need <laughs> I need I need a virtual babysitter. But 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 again, these, there's a there's discernment here and discretion and how how much you go. But like you. Um, don't rob your children of play, right? Don't rob them from the real thing. Um, fake reputation, social media, right? My real, my real reputation stinks, <laughs> you know? I'm rough around the edges. Uh, I don't have a lot of nice pictures, so I'm going to manufacture this reputation on, online. You know, you, you could start to see where I'm going here. Um, fake, uh, fake community, uh, sports fandom, um, why are people sports fanatics? Because it gives you a community. You know, it gives you people, it gives, and it's, it's liturgical. Um, why do people love the NFL? Because throughout the week, you're preparing for the football day. And you go early, and you tailgate. You have a meal together if you're, if you're going all in. And then you go to the temple of the football gods, and you make the sacrifice, and you participate in the festival. I mean... And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is what sports give us. It's an alternative liturgy. I mean, it's, it's very powerful, and it binds you together. And when your team wins, I mean, people just, why do they burn down? They burn cars? They tear down 
telephone poles when their team wins? I mean, it's, that's what, <laughs> at Philly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to replace something here. They're trying to get something. So um, fake nutrition, um, junk food. Um, our, our food industry, not all of them, but many of them, have, have substituted taste for nutrition or separated the two. So you get all the sweet tasting good things with no nutrition, right? You, you want to feel good, just eat a, eat a candy bar, but it's, it's got no nutrition in it. And, and how many physical problems do we have in this country because we're eating nutritionless food that tastes good but has no nutrition? So I'm not a dietitian. I'm not here to give you uh, diet, diet, diet advice, but I think many of us would be closer to, the, to our health goals if, if just when we ate food, it had nutrition in it. That's, uh, I think that would get you like at least 50% there. Um, um, so that's, I, I, use your own imagination and, and examine your own hearts, you know, just um, of how we're trying to manufacture a fruit or, or a, a, a result or, or a part of this created order, but in a way that's manufactured, uh, in a way that's fake dominion. Um, hopefully this is, is, is kind of, uh, kicked off your imagination to think about this. And I want to close with this as we go into the worship service. And as we, we hold the elements, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. You're, you're holding the bread and you're holding the wine. And this is, this is Christ's body broken and this is real bloodshed or, or symbolic of, of bloodshed. We celebrate Jesus, a, a crucified Messiah. And Messiah, he would not be crucified if he took the path of fake dominion, right? If, if Jesus opted for a shortcut instead of taking on our sin all the way to the point of death and fully entering into the abyss of all of this, the symbols of our faith would not be literally his broken body and his shed blood. And, and this is, I think, we see this in his temptations when he says, I'm not going to turn bread in, or stone into bread. I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm not going to manufacture a fake satisfaction to my hunger because I need to fully identify with the cursed condition. I need to fully face the dragon, the serpent, and I'm going to go all the way to the cross. So as we think and examine our own hearts, we, we, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't beat fake dominion. And we're going to, your whole life is going to be more sorrow because we go to it so often. And our only hope is, is in a conquering king who didn't take that path, um, but who, who conquered and who faced it. Um, because he is the king and he is the true image of God. The glory of God revealed is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came and he did what we could not do. So let's, um, let's meditate upon him as we go into this next hour. And um, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. that you uh, drank the cup that we could not drink and that you, um, you refused the delights of this world and the cheap, the cheap bread that comes from using magic on stones. Uh, you rejected all the kingdoms of the earth um, and you humbled yourself and went where no man has gone before. You've gone into death itself and you've come back and lived to tell about it. 
and you call us to follow you, so we pray that we would follow you today as our risen King, that we would uh, know the power of your resurrection in our lives, um, that in our sufferings we would experience that power, and that through our suffering, identifying with you in your death, we would find life. So uh, bless us in this hour of worship, uh, bless us as we fellowship around your table, and uh, save us from fake dominion, and lead us into your kingdom. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.